We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I actually felt a, something that, that was like an overriding sense for me for the character this season was, ironically, a sense of freedom. Even though she's in tension and she's obviously incredibly restricted, I I wanted to play with the idea of, you know, now that I'm here, I just felt like she was kind of confident beyond the scale of like what she really should be feeling in that scenario. For Yvonne Strahovski, season four of The Handmaid's Tale meant looking for unique angles and how to play the predicament of her character, Serena. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Emmy-nominated Yvonne Strahovski about this past season of The Handmaid's Tale and what its shocking finale might mean for her character. Later in the episode, we also chat with Hannah Einbinder, who stars opposite Gene Smart in HBO Max's Emmy-nominated comedy, Hacks. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast Roundtable, we discuss COVID contingencies, whether streamers are moving more to weekly episode drops, and if Ted Lasso can be beat in the comedy series Emmy race. It's all next on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everyone, we're back at the roundtable, the virtual roundtable, that is. Um, One day, I'll see you all in person again. But for now, it's Michael Schneider from Variety. Coming to you from Glendale, California, we got Danielle Terciano, also from the Valley, somewhere deep yeah, in the Valley. It took so long to get home today. Yeah, I know. I leaving my house was a bad idea, but the Valley yeah. is, yeah. The Valley is the Valley. Kate Arthur, back in our neck of the woods after a sojourn uh, to our friends up north a couple months ago. Welcome, uh, welcome. Silver Lake. Silver Lake in the house. Two words, by the way. If you're a real Angelino, you know it's two words. And Jazz Tanke repping where? The From the heart of Hollywood. The heart and that's of one Hollywood. word. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, everyone. So um it is strange times out there. Uh this this whole Delta variant, it's it's serious. Uh things are Things are not happening fast. Uh, Things are pulling back. We're seeing a lot of different award shows go virtual. The Hollywood Critics Association was planning a big TV uh, award show, their first ever this weekend. And then uh, at the last minute, it had to pull the plug uh, because of concern. The African-American Film Critics Association similarly was about to do a, a live event. Now they're doing theirs virtual as well. 
We're looking ahead to the Emmys. So far, Emmys is planning on doing a outdoor event, but they have shrunk it down dramatically where only four people from each production can can come and and pity the poor publicists who are now in the in the heat of trying to figure out who gets to go. Kate, I know you're hearing some rumblings from folks who uh, are not too pleased. I did. I heard about a someone from a nominated show who was invited and then disinvited because they didn't make the four person cut and they're not happy. See, that could go either way. Danielle, I think is pleased to be uninvited to. (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant, I would love to hear. These are the stories that I want. I want to know like who is doing the uninviting and what, if that's coming from within your house, so to speak, like if the showrunner has to make the, the decisions, what is that doing for the relationships? Is this, is this a drama central, you know, is this feud season three? Is that, or season, where are we with feud? I don't even remember anymore, but is, you know what I mean? Is there not, is there something here? But yes, I would, I would be thrilled to be uninvited because now with the new mask mandate in Los Angeles, if you are outside, if you are in a crowd, it will be 100 degrees and you will be wearing a fancy dress, high-heeled shoes, and a mask. And I don't want to sweat through all of that. Yeah, well, Jazz, on the flip side, you, uh, you're, you're, you're still kind of out and about. You're getting tested. You're, you're seeing folks. What, what are you feeling out there as you, uh, you know, explore the wild? Every two to three days I'm being tested and I was joking that I should just leave the COVID swab up my nose um, because I feel it. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a sweet spot, right, with events. Like, if there's 75, it's okay. Um, And I'm seeing, like, you know, I've been speaking to studios and publicists for screenings. And, you know, when they're taking the precautions, I think, you know, it's – there's the anxiety level lessons, right? We were talking about the Hollywood Bowl and – you know, the, the Cynthia Erivos super spreader that we joked about. Um, I yeah. think people, they want to get back, they want to get back into the swing of things, right? Like they, they do want to go to the award shows. They do want to go to the screenings. Um, and I think just knowing that everybody is vaxxed and getting tested, I think, that's where people want to go. I don't know what about like, you know, something like the Emmys, like Danielle, you've said like having to dress up and wear heels and a gown. I'm just cringing because I'm covering the creative arts Emmys. And it's like, right. Oh, right. That aspect. This. We all Can forgot you? about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think it's different, right? If you go to a screening, if you go to an event, like, you know, sure. we're not, dre- we're not, we've not been dressing up now this whole idea of having to put heels on. I'm like, I, I don't know how to walk in heels anymore. So no, well. no, and it's also just a different level of comfort, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's a little strange to say this, but like in the winter months, it's Los Angeles. So everyone's going to laugh at me for saying winter, but it gets cold in my house. I was basically in a hoodie every day. And I had this like, psychosomatic comfort thing where if I like, if I had to open the door and deal with my gardeners or if I had to open the door and deal with UPS and they weren't wearing a mask, it was like this weird, like I could put the hoodie up and like pull my, my sleeves over my hands. And it was like, a, it was just like almost like a security blanket, I guess. And then you think about these events where you have to be quote on and you have to lose all of those defenses, which I never really had the need for prior to this pandemic. But now I'm thinking, 
how will I do with, with those situations? I don't know. You know, I'm sure that not everybody is worried about that, but, um, but it's something that I thought about when, when they were saying, you know, in person at all, let alone how many people. Well, it's so interesting that for whatever reason, the TV Academy is not having reporters in person for the actual ceremony for the main CBS telecast. But the week before during creative arts, they're like, come on over. We've got room for at least two of you. Uh, and, and I'm not, uh, not clear why, other than maybe it's just, it's not as frantic uh, at the creative arts and, and it's a little more loose. And so it's a little more easy to, to invite the press in and, and do things there. Uh, and, and you don't, you don't really have to get that dressed up for creative arts, especially if you're backstage. I mean, my, I'm, I'm, my nod is I'm going to wear pants, which is, you know, for, for me these days getting dressed up. So you're welcome TV Academy, but you know, I, I partly kind of looking forward to it because this will be the first time to really like cover something like in person. Yeah. I've gone to. Uh, you know, a couple of premieres. I've gone to a couple of events, but you know, nothing sort of like this. So it's kind of going to be interesting to be in a room with other people. And are we all going to be, I guess, masked up at all times? It's just, it's going to be surreal, but you know, I guess it's better than, you know, last year where we were just sitting on our couch for five days, watching the creative arts for an hour each night. And it was bizarre in its own way, but yeah. I look forward to also, you yelling at like the cinematographer from whatever. Hey, your mask isn't over your nose. <laughs> like just whatever's going to happen. Right. It's right. also, do I remember how to do this? Because Angelique did an incredible job covering the red carpet for Shang-Chi. I was like, you did so, you, you slayed, slayed it. She goes, I felt like it was, I hadn't done it in such a long time. And so like to be in a press room for the creative arts, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how do you even operate in a press room again? That's not on, on zoom, right? Like we've all done the zoom press rooms, but how does this work in person again? Um, yeah. so well, be- maybe, maybe the press room will actually be like decent questions for a change and it'll actually operate professionally as opposed to normally those, those backstage press rooms at the award shows. It's always the worst questions and the most embarrassing questions. You have that moment where someone from an outlet you've never heard of before asks a winner on stage what their beauty secret is. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm not with them. I'm not. (laughs) I do feel like those are the people that are going to be the most excited to get back to this and will definitely be there though. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck. Good yes. luck. Indeed, indeed. Uh, well, let's let's uh, you know as we sort of head into the home stretch, uh, August nineteen. As you're listening to this, voting has begun for the final round. It is finally happening. So, truth be told, we will uh, or we we will know soon after all this time uh, the, the the winners and the the not so winners. Has uh, there for for any of you? Uh, has there been anything that's changed in recent weeks? Uh, a, a show that you think has has managed to make some noise? Uh, maybe you've switched your uh, allegiance in, in terms of a show that you think might pick up some awards. Uh, Jazz, is there anything that you're sort of maybe bullish on now that you weren't a month ago on? Did I? When we were talking about comedy actress, I think I was my my toss up was between. The two Hannahs, right? Hannah Einbinder for Hacks and Hannah Waddingham for Ted Lasso. And I think I was leaning towards Hacks, maybe. I think so. 
I, I've I've swayed a hundred percent now to Hannah Waddingham, Ted Lasso. The second season is phenomenal. Yeah, and they've just—I mean—they are everywhere. I drove after the I mean, Chris I after did. the Christmas episode, right? That that uh, sort of brought yeah, you back. That's it. That is it. That, <laughs> that's that, timing. That's the one I was going to say. I feel like uh, Ted Lasso is gaining momentum by being on right now. Uh, I think that's happened before, right? Was it? Was it? Uh, was it Succession? No. Yeah. Yeah. Last okay. year, Succession yeah. definitely. I think uh, gained by that. But yeah, I feel like, you know, I would have a month and a half ago, I, or even a month ago, I would have said that Hacks was going to win Best Comedy. Now I think it's back to Ted Lasso. I mean, it's a, it, you know, it's a real um, toss up, I think. But, uh, but I, I do think that by being on during the voting period, Ted Lasso is, and since people love the second season, you know, I do think it's gained a lot of momentum. Yeah. And I think, again, that's where the weekly uh, release of Ted Lasso really makes a difference. And you've seen it now over and over again. I know it's kind of almost cliche to talk about the the binge model versus the weekly release model. But let's face it, we have really seen over the past year the benefit of a show like Ted Lasso or Mayor of Easttown or The White Lotus or yes. The Mandalorian. What, I could go on and on. These shows that stay in the zeitgeist because people are so excited about a new episode every week. They're talking about it for weeks. I mean, we were all obsessing over White Lotus for, for how long? And... At this point, if you're Netflix, you got to be rethinking this, right? I mean, you got to like, because talent, I got to imagine, is starting to say to Netflix, listen, I want people to be talking about my show for a month and a half. I don't want them to get bored of it after a week and move on. So is it going to be talent that sort of pushes that? You know, if, if you're Shonda Rhimes, aren't you like Bridgerton season two weekly? You, you got to release it. We, I want people talking about Bridgerton for two months. I don't want them to talk about it for one weekend. That's hmm? so interesting. Have you heard any of that? No, I'm kind of just like spitballing this. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but more, I prefer the weekly also. I mean, I love a binge and sometimes I'll let them pile up, but like, you know, I, I find the binge to be so burdensome. Like when they're just, I'm facing eight episodes, 10 episodes, I'm staring at them. I'm like, oh my God, it's so much, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm really enjoying right now on uh, Paramount plus I'm enjoying evil every week. I'm enjoying the good fight every week. And I'm just happy that there aren't, you know, and if I want to let them pile up a little bit to watch two in a row, then I do that, you know, and I don't, yeah you know, it's not some, it's not like I'm carrying some massive weight on my back. I just, I love it. But I do feel like because of the volume that Netflix churns out, whether it's binge or not, it's going to feel like massive weight. Because if all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I normally would have had 10 episodes of you dropping on this one Friday, but now I'm getting 10 weeks of you and 10 weeks of four other shows for those four weeks. I feel like that's almost worse. I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's worse for me having to figure out what we're writing about and, and how to watch it. I mean, to even remember to go back and watch the next episode, if it's not, 
sent together sometimes is its own spreadsheet of hell. So (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine the average person. I mean, the average person probably isn't saying, Hey, Netflix, you dropped four four shows this Friday. I'm overwhelmed by watching them because they probably don't even know about the four that they dropped, you know, as opposed to, you know, Paramount plus is a great example because those are two really strong shows, but they're not two in a sea of shows that people have to watch. These are the two that they're that they're doing right now. Right, right. And that goes to the heart of like the, the volume question for Netflix. Are, are they benefiting now from spending that much on that much volume of content when arguably people are talking as much about shows on other streamers who aren't spending nearly as much on just nonstop content? And, you know, maybe you don't, need to do that. And, and that's economically makes more sense to just, you know, be Apple TV plus and have the it's it's Ted Lasso season. And you're going to be talking about Apple TV plus because you're all watching Ted Lasso every week. So not only that, but I mean, uh, Gossip Girl on HBO Max is taking a hiatus. Right. Uh, Evil also yeah, takes like five weeks mm-hmm. off, you know, and and they're trying to build momentum for the first episode coming back. Like it's a much more traditional broadcast model, not surprising because it's, you know, a CBS company. Um, but, you know, I, I just, it, it does give you a minute to breathe, you know, when you have that, but I understand your spreadsheet anxiety. <laughs> yeah. I don't actually have one, but I do feel like I would need one if all of a sudden all the Netflix shows went weekly. Or God forbid, some of them went weekly and some of them were still binges. And then I had to just know what is Which one. What if I spoil something before it actually launches and then I'm fired. Um, that, <laughs> that is my biggest nightmare. It's just like, let's make sure every time anybody sends anything about a new streaming show... The, the release very rarely says if it's binge or not. And I always go back and I'm just like, what is the plan here? Because I'm planning ahead and I don't want to plan incorrectly. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there's, yeah, HBO Max is a great example because Gossip Girl is going on a hiatus, but then they're bringing other shows in. Like the other two is starting again and they're doing two episodes at a time weekly. And that's like a nice breathable chunk you know it's like a solid hour of you're gonna laugh and then hopefully you'll remember what happened last week when you come back the next week hopefully nothing went completely awry in your week that you won't remember but that's the that's those are the ones that I'm always most interested to see how that works because I feel like comedies like that work better in a binge but maybe letting people decide how they want to watch it is just better business yeah, I think it depends. You're, you're right on, on the show because yeah, I, I mentioned Bridgerton as I, I wonder what that would be like as a weekly binge. But the obvious one for Netflix is you know, when you're looking at Stranger Things and, mm. and thinking, how mm. can I really just squeeze every last ounce of, of just benefit out of Stranger Things? You know, that's a show that I think really would lend itself to to the weekly release because not only are are you benefiting from this longer haul and and you have less churn then because who's going to cancel Netflix in the middle of you know uh, ten episodes of Stranger Things? But hey, it would benefit us too. We would do weekly recaps. We would you know do like multiple oh, stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? We have Mike's not, not seen. Here in my ideas. We have not seen the new season yet. We do nothing. We say can be held against us um but but i do think you're right in the sense of like that show has been off for so long that for such a big show like that to come back and just be like dumped on one episode on one day does feel a little sad 
Yeah. The, yeah. The, the White Lotus benefited from the weekly installments because remember episode four? And no. if you haven't seen the finale, like I saw that, uh, the, the, the final scene of that, I saw that explode on Twitter and so many people were like, what is this show that everybody's been talking about? I need to go back. I need to go and watch, watch it. And then they were consuming it every Sunday at the same time as everybody else. Like, I think four was like its tipping point. And had it all dropped at one point, I think we wouldn't be, we wouldn't see that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that some people would have gotten to four if it was all right. If you don't like the first one or the first two, you're going to just move on to something else. But if you're bored on Sunday night and episode four comes on and people are talking about it, you'll check it out. I mean, it definitely felt on, on social media on Sunday night, like, there was an incredible, I'd already seen the finale, but just watching, you know, that there was like a huge event. Like it was like the Super Bowl of, you know, gay TV shows basically. But like, you know, it was just, it was like, I, I, it was, and it was so great. And HBO can really do that uh, in a way that I don't know who else has, you know, like the, the live tune-ins. Yeah. That's what I think is also just the quality of their shows. Like people actually yeah. wanted to watch this stuff. You know, other networks certainly have things they hope will draw that attention and not always the case. So, so my question, and this jumps ahead to next year, since obviously White Lotus will be 2022 Emmys, but uh, what Armand does in the finale, how will that be recognized by the Emmys? Is there a, uh, like a, stunt is it a prop <laughs> is it a there's 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 a lot to uh digest there yeah Jazz, that's gonna be a as your artisan <laughs> what are, what are your I don't, I don't know why cinematography oh. just dropped into my head I was oh, like, yeah. anatomy um, of a scene <laughs> oh I need oh, to know how that was done, I or mean, maybe I don't. Yeah, we want to say, do you want to know? Because I, I don't want to know because <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I'm not eating dinner. Mike, do you want to tell people what <laughs> what no, happened? I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it just in case. But uh, I'll, I'll just you don't say that drop a hint. Uh, a bodily function I don't think we've ever seen happen on television in real time. We've we've never seen that, right? I. I was trying to think, have we seen this? On on succession, uh, Kendall woke up in a soiled bed. But we did not see him soil it. And I have spoiled for our listeners (laughs) what Armand does. Not where and into what. There's a chance, I, I'm trying to remember, I, I seem to remember something similar on Dave season one. There may have been a, a I don't oh. know if you actually saw the action, though. I think you just saw the result. So I, this is still a the, this is still a whole different level. So Should we just do a bonus making a scene episode? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Jazz, that would get some huge, huge traffic. Um, not to assign you things to do, but I, I think America wants to know how that was pulled off. Um, so uh, let's real quick... <laughs> We're going to be uh, hitting the major categories now in these final weeks of, of uh, 
uh, the voting in the podcast. So since we've been talking a lot about comedy this week, why don't we hit the comedy category? And we, we sort of talked a little bit about the Hacks versus Ted Lasso situation and, and how it does feel like all the momentum now is, is Ted Lasso. Um, is there any chance that uh, Hacks or another show plays spoiler, Danielle? I mean, I certainly still think there's a chance for hacks. I mean, they're they're certainly trying. They're throwing some muscle behind it. They just had uh, some of the cast and some of the crew do like live stand up in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, and they released that online. And you know, they're they're visible and they're 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 doing things to campaign. But you know, I'll be honest. I I kind of saw that show as like the little show that could compare to Ted Lasso, and I was hoping it would have a little bit more heat right now than I think it does. I think everything you guys already said about Ted Ted Lasso, it was the front runner coming in. I think it still is. I think it's like, it's yours to lose, and if you lose, I will be surprised. Kate, there's a little bit of this Ted Lasso backlash, though, right? I mean, you've seen it online. There's some people who, who are sort of just, you know, it's too saccharine or kind of kind of just are ready to sort of like shut up with the Ted Lasso. Um, have you sensed that's having any real traction? Um, I definitely have seen it. Uh, I don't know if that's something that Emmy voters care about necessarily. I also think there's a bit of a Jason Sudeikis backlash bit, but um, I don't think that's going to stop him from winning. He's 100% going to win. Um, I think he's a lock. Uh, but but I, I think I think Ted Lasso is just going to win. And even though I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I love Flight Attendant. I, lo- I love Hacks. I love Ted Lasso. Um, I hope that Kaylee Cuoco wins another year. I mean, because I, you know, I really... As soon as I saw Hacks, I was like, oh, poor Kaylee. So, you know, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, there, there are a lot of good competitors in the comedy category this year. It isn't always true. Yeah. Cobra Kai. Come on, Cobra Kai. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Emily in Paris. Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Like everybody, everybody can read about what what Mike says about Emily in Paris on our website right now. We, you know, he's, yeah, I, 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 I feel like you've said it all already. Yeah, I had to, you know, I I, tr- I tried to understand how it would get nominated, and I see how it could get nominated, and and it did. So, Jazz, how about you? How are you feeling about this category now? Ted Lasso is unbeatable. I think that's that's where we're at. Um, I think you know. I think Jean is in for best actress. Um, I think that's that's a lot, but yeah, on comedy series, Ted Lasso. Yeah, no, I think you're it right. That's how. It, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say that that's how they honor hacks is is Jean Smart, yeah. but but. Yeah. Uh, Cobra um, Kai, that amazing comedy that had us laughing the whole time. You know. Yeah, that was it. Was interesting because that was such a darker season, but you know that's power of netflix yeah and it's also you know the the oddity of of just how everything is is classified these days so kaminsky method has nothing but death on that show but it's still a comedy so and um and you know under the honor just to be nominated category i mean pen 15 it's nice to see it recognize it's it's nice to see that and and cobra kai in there and and you know blackish holding it on for for the broadcast networks but 
and 15, the what we do in the shadows of this year, which is a lot of people probably didn't even know what Pen15 was. Yeah, and hopefully now more do. And uh, on that note, I suppose we'll move on to the episode. We've got uh, Ivan Strahovski coming up with Danielle. So more to come. But uh, Kate, thanks for dropping by. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to do it anytime. And Danielle and Jazz, see you next week. All right, it's more spoiler alert time, just in case you haven't watched the season finale of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, but we're going to get into it. For much of season four, Serena, played by Yvonne Strahovski, and her husband Fred, played by Joseph Fiennes, are in a Canadian holding cell, ready to face justice for their crimes in Gilead. But after years of using a handmaid because they struggled to conceive, it turned out Serena was fertile after all, a slap in the face to their handmaid June, played by Elizabeth Moss. Now her fear is to return to Gilead, perhaps even to become a handmaid herself. Our son's freedom will be what sustains me. They could take him away. Gilead could come for our son. A mother alone. They think the baby belongs to the state. Naomi said that? Naomi said come back to Gilead as if I wouldn't face retribution. They'd send me to the colonies. They could make me a handmaid. It's not gonna happen, I promise. I'll do everything in my power to make sure you and our son are protected. What power? What could you possibly do from in here? Friday's Danielle Tertiano recently spoke with Strahovski, and they discussed the story of Serena's pregnancy, the character's journey, and what might happen now that she discovers Fred's fate. They began by discussing how Serena's pregnancy was a slap in the face to June. Definitely to June, for sure. I mean, and anyone, I mean, even Rita and um, all the characters that know Serena Waterford, you know, I feel like that's definitely a slap in the face. But in all honesty, I mean, you did go through a season of hiding your own pregnancy, and then now you're in a season where they made you wear this stomach. So, yeah, what, now, now I've got a real one on me. <laughs> what, what was, uh, you know, what was the discussion like? What was your reaction when you when you first were talking to Bruce? You first read that script where, hey, Serena's pregnant, and now we have to deal with what that means. I mean, I was excited. Um, I obviously that's. Um, you know, a, a pot stirring kind of event for Serena to be pregnant. So I was excited for what that, that brings, um, like both to the dynamics of her relationships with the other characters, but also the dynamic with herself and what that means. And does she kind of learn to realize that perhaps her past actions were more horrendous than she'd like to believe, or, you know, what, what direction does that kind of take her psychologically? Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen season four, so we, we've seen where that took her. Um, and I feel like it kind of ended up being a, a lot more of her kind of selfish, you know, needs being met and, and her manipulating the situation to, to her benefit, really. Like about, it's, it's all those themes that came up with, you know, her not wanting Fred as an ally and then turning to him after she realized Rita and June were not going to be any part 
of, you know, any kind of, not, not that they weren't going to be nice to her. They weren't going to be an ally to her. So going back to Fred after she had kind of turned her back on him, like it's all that kind of classic Serena manipulation that, that I think, um, I think people like to see. I certainly like to read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it also kind of leaves her in a, I would say precarious is, is probably an understatement of a word uh, in terms of her situation at the end of the season, because you know, as you're pointing out, like she's a, she's been able to go back to him. She's always had that ally in him when she's needed him. Now she no longer does. Um, I want to, I do want to look at where they get to at the end of that season in terms of, you know, she didn't seem happy with him. She didn't seem like she wanted to zoom with him. It didn't seem like when, if, and when she actually receives that finger, she's going to be all that upset. Um, is that how you felt? Did, I mean, what, what did you want to explore with her, you know, in terms of, um, where she got to at the end of the season in their relationship? I mean, the whole season felt like a business transaction, which is, you know, where I felt firmly that Serena was at. Um, I just think, you know, the point where Fred decides to throw Serena under the bus and convict her as well, I think is the absolute final straw for Serena in terms of, you know, just anything remaining between them that is redeemable. I just think that the the rest of the season played out for both of them, really, like a business transaction. I think Fred maybe had more hope that there would be something there. Um, but he was also resigned to a certain kind of fate. Um, and I think, I do think once Serena, I think, you know, once she, her hope is that she gets out and she's in Canada and she's living her own life with her baby. Um, she's fine and everything's hunky dory and she can, I, I think at this point she's undecided whether she's going to keep using Fred or not. And I think, you know, what's conflicting or what's making that decision kind of harder to make is that she does realize that there is a fan club for her out there when she's united with Fred, when she's supporting Gilead. And in my mind, I think it would be really interesting to explore her kind of having a a win. And I say that with, you know, in quotation marks, but having a, a win and like in terms of she gets out and and kind of starts like a political career and gets a following of some kind in the way that frustratingly we see happen in, in real life. And I think that would be really interesting and frustrating for audiences to see that play out for her to have that kind of a win. But I do think that what happened at the end of season the season with Fred's death is going to throw a massive spanner in the works. And I mean, to me, Serena, if she got out with her baby and if she finds out that June was the one that orchestrated it, I feel like she's living in fear at that point because then what's stopping June from coming for her baby. And, and then what, I mean, she's unstoppable. We've kind of ended the season in June's rage being demonstrated to to the to the highest degree and and now what like she's capable of anything now and I can't wait I really hope that moment is in the script next season where we see Serena come to understand 
that June was responsible for that and and the, the reaction. I'm not sure what the writers are create are planning, but I, but in my mind, I that's terrifying. Yeah, but it, it also, I mean, we've we talked a lot about June's anger and June's rage this season, but I would pivot that question back to you in terms of Serena's because so much of Serena seems to be repressing or shutting little pieces of her down because of Gilead, because she has to use Fred when she doesn't really want to. Um, were there moments in season four that you really had to play with or struggle through to say, I want to be a little bit more angry here than she can be? You know, yeah, I guess so. I, but there were moments, sure. I mean, I, I mean, there were moments where we we played some of those scenes out angrier than than they ended up in the edit. I mean, because we usually get to, you know, it's such a fine line with Serena, especially as she walks that fine line of showing her true emotions versus that manipulative aspect of her. So, I do tend to play a little bit when we do those scenes and kind of, you know, maybe show kind of two colors. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was sort of the more pulled back version in in a sense that, that we went with. Um, but you know, on the flip side to what you're saying, I actually felt, um, something that, that was like an overriding sense for me for the character this season was ironically a sense of freedom. even though she's in tension and she's obviously incredibly restricted, I I wanted hey, to play with the that idea. That wasn't a jail of, cell. <laughs> that was a nice no. prison. We've been talking about that for months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really lovely. Um, <laughs> it is <laughs> lovely, um, but like you know, like that that sense of you know, now that I'm here, what you know, I just felt like she was kind of confident beyond beyond the scale of like what she really should be feeling in that scenario and you know I feel like just from experience also pregnancy makes you quite um relaxed like it it makes you care less about everything else that's going on around you because I don't know if it's a hormonal thing um I should probably look this up you know, scientific terms, but for me personally, it's, it is kind of a relaxing situation in terms of like, you calm down about everything else that, you know, ought to be stressing you out. And I felt like that infused with her current situation of having a new uh, person to prey on that being Mark Duello. Right. Kind of all the pieces combined and how she suddenly felt like she actually had power over Fred. Um, I, I really felt like I was playing with, with a strong sense of, of freedom in with, within the scenes. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it does. But yeah. It made sense to me when I, as I was, you know, navigating this season. Right. I do also want to go back because um, you, you know, you touched on the fandom that Serena has and I don't know if this plays into the freedom at all. Like when she steps outside with Fred and sees that and sees those people and sees, Oh wait, I'm not as hated by everybody. Um, what that did for her and what that did for you seeing that, that piece of the story come in, in the fact of, you know, 
I don't know. To me, like I said this to Lizzie, I was like, I think, you know, there was, there was a little bit about that that reminded me of like 55% of all of white women. And there's a little bit of that that reminded me of like Trump rallies. Like there are more, there are more people than you might think. But also when you actually look at that crowd, it's not 300 people. So you have to temper your expectations. And I'm curious if that's something you gave a lot of thought to in terms of who their supporters are, how many they are, and what that means for how Serena feels about her chances going forward. I mean, I definitely think she pocketed that information for future use. You know, it's something for her to fall back on. It's something... It, it's knowing that she still has an audience out there. And it goes back to pre-Gilead when we referenced Serena and the flashbacks and how she wrote her book and A Woman's Place and embracing your your biology as a woman, your, you know, Serena's belief of, you know, you stay domestic, you provide children and you provide healthy children. And I mean, it goes back to all of that. And she had an audience then and she's, surprised I think to see that she still has that audience it comes at a price though I, I think it's complicated because perhaps it's not necessarily the way she wants to have an audience because at that point in time it's her wearing the teal dress and she's by Fred's side and would she still have that if she stepped away from Fred but I guess we will find out if they if the writers choose to take that route of um, you know, I mean, Serena. we're going to have to find out either way. Cause he's dead. Like spoiler alert. Sorry to anybody who hasn't watched it yet. It's been months. Uh, yeah. but I mean, he's not going to be by her side. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, as opposed to kind of her being sent back to Gilead and becoming a handmaid cause she's fertile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they would never, I don't think they would ever do that. That seems, I don't, I feel like the court system in the world that was created on this show could never do that because even if there's a piece of the audience that wants that, that law is so messed up that if you like, just think about it from the legal standpoint, you, you couldn't, you couldn't get away with that. I mean, unless they do some kind of a legal trade-off. Well, I guess Mark Tawello said some legal jargon as he was handing Fred off, right? Like there's something about we were exercising one of the clauses mm. in our agreement or what I mean I don't know maybe there is I don't know that's a good point I mean he did but I do also feel like Serena becoming a handmaid is one of the more obvious choices of that that is I just don't see Bruce going there I know and and I will eat my words if he goes (laughs) ahead and and does it I I'm I'm so curious to see what what they're concocting I mean you you just touched on uh you know the flashbacks that we've seen and obviously, you know, with, with Joe's character, with, with Fred being killed off in this modern day, I imagine we're not losing Joe. He'll be around in flashbacks. And what, at this point, do you still want to know about Serena, about Serena and Fred's pre-Gilead relationship? Is there anything there that you feel like you still want to explore? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I feel like we kind of have, you know, and it's been, I've always played at that they had a really great start, just like any good relationship. They had a genuine love, a genuine attraction, genuine um, similarities between them uh, that they bonded over. But we've kind of seen that already. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I guess what would be interesting is that first chapter of Gilead that we never saw pre- June, the handmaid arriving, 
and going back to the original off-road who was there because that's sort of where the pilot starts is that that handmaid previously hung herself in the room and that was when Fred started to have you know fool around with other people and that and and where the the trust started to go between Serena and Fred um because that was sort of the, the foundation of where I of where I built Serena from I built her from from the bitterness and the hurt and the betrayal that she would have felt during that time where she first found out that he was first in her mind cheating on her with that current handmaid so it would be maybe interesting to see how that all played out um and what happened and the and the first moments of her that the innocence in the relationship being lost I mean it would be also just such a juxtaposition with where we just left them that I think like that's that's always an interesting thing to just remind people of like first of all look what they were and look what they became mm-hmm. I mean mind you it's already following a betrayal though because we, we already did see it in the flashbacks of Fred not allowing her to speak in that one thing so there's already been something there we've seen that in the flashback um but it'd be interesting to see the sort of the the intimacy heart kind of betrayal um not just the political betrayal so um looking at season four this is going to be a big question in terms of you can literally answer however first comes to mind but i'm curious if there was something you know storyline wise or just maybe like an emotional beat that you felt like here's here's a piece of serena that the audience doesn't get enough of a piece that you feel like you want to explore even more going forward. Oh man, that's a tough question. I'm kind of split between her vulnerable side. We see, we saw a lot of that, I think in, in season three, her vulnerabilities. I, I, that was certainly a focus. Um, And then you know, in contrast to that, we've seen kind of more of her manipulation in season four. So I kind I, I always feel like I'm walking that fine line between the two worlds with, you know, in playing her and, and what do I show? But uh, I mean, you know, I guess what's coming to mind as I'm thinking out loud right now is, is her fear because what was so incredibly enticing about Fred's demise at the end of the season was his fear. I remember reading the script and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see the look on his face. And as an audience member to see Fred absolutely be in absolute fear, like we've never seen him before. And that, that I guess that's an element that we haven't really seen with Serena. She's, you know, she's been broken. She's been vulnerable. She's been hurt. She's been mad as hell. But to live in total fear, and perhaps that comes with the threat of her returning to Gilead, which also touched on season four. Was that scene where Naomi and Warren came to visit, and she was worried they had, they did have a, a genuine concern. But I mean, th- that's why I'm curious, maybe to to kind of see what what would happen if 
Serena was released, she had her baby, she finds out June's responsible for the death of Fred and, and there's that fear. I just don't know how, I mean, you can imagine being in that situation. What are you supposed to do? You get cameras, you get locks, you get anything. You start manipulating Mark Tuello to come help you. I mean, it's... <laughs> I don't know that he would at this point. I don't know. Well, I don't know about that. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's another thing, you know? I, so it's just it'd be really interesting to see because in a way it would be her running and hiding, you know, she's meant to be living in freedom, but she's not, that's the worst punishment she can have. Right. And I think also, I mean, let's, that's a very external thing, like her fear of June, but once Fred is gone, what's the internal, is there any regret? Is there any guilt? Because, I mean, we've, we saw that in season four, you know, with, with an aunt coming and being you know, maybe ashamed or maybe faking it. I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a cynic. I kind of thought maybe she's faking it just so that she doesn't, you know, get beaten. Um, but that element of, of what you have to sit with after all of this, you know, is, is there anything seeing what happened to Fred? Does that wake Serena up to what could happen to her? And in, in, does that shake internal stuff loose well I mean I I mean yeah I mean the fear being you know my baby's gonna get taken away from me I think that's the ultimate fear with you know with or without Fred but with the Fred thing I I don't know I I don't know that Serena I feel like oh is it bad to say I feel like she's more relieved and satisfied than no. than anything. I, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder that I, it's so complex though. I mean, I think you, I think you, you would have to mourn whatever you had, you know, in those flashbacks, those, those pure moments, you'd have to sort of mourn that and go through all these stages of mourning, but it's one thing off her back, although, you know, with the threat of her baby, maybe being taken away, if she's free, then she doesn't have him, you know, also aligned with her. That's one person who would protect the baby because it's his. Right. I don't know. There's a lot, a lot to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to unpack. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's Yvonne Sterhofsky, star of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. And after the break, hack star Hannah Einbinder. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. HBO Max's Emmy-nominated comedy Hacks stars Gene Smart as Deborah Vance, an iconic comedian who has been telling the same jokes for years at a Las Vegas residency. It's lucrative, but hacky, to young comedy writer Ava, played by Hannah Einbinder. When Ava is hired to punch up Deborah's routine, it starts out as a disaster. The two are just very different. What's a diva cup? It's like a, it's like a silicone cup that you kind of fold up like a taco and 
pop in there. Technically, they're not dishwasher safe, but I, I toss them in there anyway. Remind me to never have dinner at your house. In real life, Einbeiner and Smart immediately got on well, as did the entire cast and producers of the show, which has earned raves, particularly for its focus on the relationship between the two women. I recently spoke with Einbinder about what Hacks has meant to her, working with Smart, and where she thinks the show is headed in season two. We began by talking about how it's another unusual year with the Emmys being outdoors and with a limited audience, but it's still a big deal. I've always loved to watch the Emmys. It's always been like a lovely treat, uh, a lovely, a lovely thing seeing all of the the dresses and all of my favorite actors. It's like, yeah. you know, um, it's always a really fun night from my couch. So we'll see how it is. I guess, honestly, with the way the pandemic is going, maybe from my couch, but also right. hopefully there, you know? Hopefully there. Um yeah, yeah, because it's sort of, you know, it's so great to be nominated, I know, but it is such a weird time to sort of be in this state of, of you know, celebration and, and excitement. But it's it, does it, it feels a little muted, but I think that's just everything in the world now. I mean, it's still got to be exciting for you. I mean, how what does that mean for you to, to be Emmy nominated, uh, to have have those those words in in front of your name. Yeah, it's beyond anything I could have expected, honestly. Um, I I feel just like lucky to be a part of of a show like Hacks. And I I sort of count that as the the true award. And then this, in addition to that, is just like an unimaginable um, amount of, you know, joy and, just feeling so honored and and um, excited to be a part of it. It's just like what a group, you know. Well, it seems like you guys really get along in, in sort of watching the interaction uh, between all of you, both the the creators but also the cast. There there seems to be this kind of fun shorthand that you all have already sort of figured out. Uh, what's what's what what's what's it been like to be a part of this ensemble? Well, you know, we we were really lucky to benefit from producer EPs who really just um, wanted the right people for the role. It really was not a game. Like once, once I think they had Jean, who is like the talent and star power and all of the amazing things that she is, they really were like, okay, like, let's give like newer artists or artists who maybe don't have a lot of on-screen time, but have been doing comedy for a really long time, a shot. And like all of us kind of coming from that, that place for the most part, um, most of us coming from that place has united us in this really lovely way. And we have this great, great bond that, um, I cherish more than anything. I mean, just like having these people as friends in my life is um, the greatest gift of all. <laughs> and it's, you, you get to be a little meta with it, right? I mean, it's, uh, you, you've experienced so much of, of what you're also depicting on the show and, and the, the creators have gone through uh, a lot of what you've gone through as a comedian and as a performer in, in real life. Uh, so is it, 
sort of surreal in some ways to to be sort of playing a character in this world that's not unlike the world that you're actually in? It's, um, it is. The, the chance to do it is surreal, but really when I'm in it, it feels kind of comfortable. You know, I, I feel like I, and it's a credit to the writers and how vivid these characters are. I feel like I know these people, you know, they do come from the same world that I come from. And um, I've spent, you know, a lot of my young adult life um, researching comedy and being a huge fan. And women like Deborah Vance have been uh, a huge part of my ed- comedic education. And to feel that that archetype or a character like her is honored so accurately, so well, so so vividly is as a comedy fan, all I could ever want. I mean, it, it's, it is nice to feel like someone who knows a lot about comedy and loves comedy so, so much and have a show that, that, that echoes that, that love. Yeah. And, and celebrates the kind of career that this fictional character had that is, is sort of so much like some of the real folks out there and, and who yeah. may think get their due at the time and, and had to work so much harder. When you look back at someone like a Joan Rivers who accomplished as much as she did after having going through all the bullshit that she had to go through. Um, I remember when she had her talk show and just the shit that she had to go through. Uh, everyone was rooting against her, including Johnny Carson, you know, and, and it, it's astounding that, you know, she, she was able to just pick herself back up and, and keep on going. So it is, it, and you know, I, I love that that, that is like, it is a, a huge element of the business in general, but it is especially um, a huge part of the experience, especially uh, of being a female comedian, but especially at coming up at a time like sort of the era of, you know, um, Joan or, you know, Lucille Ball or um, really like, you know, Kathy Ladman or Wendy Liebman or, you know, um, really any, any time aside from now and even now, you know, like even now it's, it's, um, it really does feel like a fraternal institution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that we see that in hacks, that episode, of course, where they, they go to the, the comedy club and it's still so, you know, just, misogynist and, and kind of hacky and and yeah it's a reminder that there, there's still a lot of that going on today um yeah how much can how much do you relate to all of that in in, in terms of that and, and what you've experienced on, on the circuit you know um i have seen and heard the most horrific things that you can't even imagine from my peers um, on the road. Um, I have friends who have had the stage rushed. I have friends who have been in horrific, horrific uh, situations as female comics today on the road and sometimes even at home. Um, aside from, you know, it, it's it's it is a problem that affects all female comics, but especially depends on, you know, factors like, you know, 
um, gender and gender identity, sexuality, race, all of these things, like they are just further, uh, they further the, the difficulty of the experience, like from what, from what I know of, um, my experience and the experience of my friends, my female friends who still do comedy. And so it is much better than it was, but there's still so much work to be done. And did, uh, I mean, we talk a lot about social media in terms of, you know, how, how people have, uh, you know, sort of done this to themselves, have, have written certain things that have gotten them in trouble. But what about just social media in terms of the trolls out there and in, in terms of the, 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 uh, the unfaced, uh, un, unmasked, uh, you know, people with three followers who, who, you know, live to attack comedians and live to attack women, especially on social yeah. And how do you kind of navigate that? Well, you know, um, there are certain platforms where if you look at all of the videos posted, um, the female comedians have the most brutal, vicious, uh, disgusting comments under them. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that you just, you can't pay it any mind. I mean, I personally, um, am unfazed by things like that when it comes to critiques from strange men on the internet, uh, of, of my comedy, because um, it's just so, so overwhelmingly and abundantly clear to me that they are such incredible cowards. I mean, I don't think they're doing what they, they don't know uh, what they're actually doing. They think they're doing something else. They think they're like owning a comedian, but really they're, you know, revealing themselves to be sad, 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 deeply, deeply troubled uh, individuals. And, um, frankly, I pray for them. <laughs> I do because, uh, you know, it's just incredibly, that feedback is so meaningless. I can't even express it. Um, I don't, I don't really see it. I don't look at it. I I'm not on Twitter. Um, and I don't read comments. I, uh, you know, as someone who is super anxious and, uh, deals with various, like, uh, levels of like self-loathing. Um, I, I, I get enough from myself, you know, I don't really need to seek it out. <laughs> um, so yeah, that stuff is, is, is crazy, but it's, it, you know, if, if anyone has a question about what it's like to be a female comic, just, just go look through videos of stand up online and you can see the difference in the comments. Oh yeah. Go. Yeah. You, YouTube. I, I think the world would be a better place if YouTube just got rid of comments altogether. <laughs> I so agree. Why don't they do that? Don't know. I don't know, but let's, let's talk about Ava. Let's talk about your character. Um, sort of, uh, you've had a chance now to really sort of get to know this character, to, to live with her. Um, how are you feeling about her? What's sort of your relationship with this character? What do you like about her? What concerns you about her? What, what pisses you off about Ava? What, yeah. what do you think of her? I think, first of all, I, I really have a lot of compassion for her. Um, I have grown to love her. Really, I have. I think that she, like many other young people, uh, is so much better at um, maybe 
once she once she does a little bit of self-reflection towards like episode five and on, she's so much better at seeing what the right thing to do is or the mature thing to do as is. And because of her age, she's not as good as actually putting that into act, putting that to putting action behind that. Um, and that's like what being young is in a big way, in my view. Um, you know, I, I relate to that. I, I relate to the struggle um, to, you know, be the best version of yourself when you are still learning and growing and developing. She clearly, as a as a character, has not had really awesome parental, you know, figures. So when when good behavior isn't always modeled for you, it's harder to be. Uh, on the right track um, at such a young age or really ever you have to make a super big effort to to teach yourself um, really how how to behave Um, and so I I feel for her in that way I I wish that she had more Um, I think she's really smart and I think she's really funny and she's capable but she like the rest of us on planet earth has a a lot of growing to do. And I'm glad to play a woman who is given the grace to do that because I think a lot of men um, in TV and film have been given the same grace for worse behavior. Um, You know, characters who are murderers, characters who are uh, adulterers, characters who, um, you know, are breaking the law in some way are given so much more, cut so much more slack. And um, for Ava to really be trying to be better and to be a woman and to be given grace is is something I'm so glad to be a part of because I really, you know, I, I think we need to see that. Yeah, 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 you're right. America loves Dexter, you know, master. <laughs> hey, you know. As do I, as do I. I love a Don Draper more than anything <laughs> in life itself, but, you know, Don, baby, you're not giving us much to uh, forgive here. <laughs> right, right. right. Um, have you, uh, I mean, the, the the email that she sends, I know I've, you know, I've either come close to doing something like that or I have done that before. <laughs> you know, moments like that, uh, are you sort of, how much can you relate to, uh, you know, a situation like that or uh, just just in general when, when Ava does do something that's sort of like, oh no, oh no. Of course. I mean, it's less like revealing emails about my, like, in her case, it's like a revealing email about her employer. But I think just like if I'm in a fight with a friend or a partner um, and I just like, you know, say something that crosses the line, you know, something like mean, I think that's, you know, I think I've I've had certainly moments where, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, especially when you're young and you're growing up and, you know, you yell at your parents, you're like, I hate you like all of that type of it comes from the same place of a child just being like I'm so out of control you know I think all of those it's a a very um kind of like uh childlike impulse but it's one that you know again like I think we all we all go there sometimes and I think to pretend like uh I don't know. I, I've seen 
whenever I have had like a judgment of Ava, I have gone, okay, Hannah, why, why is this triggering you? And can you maybe look at your own behavior and go, oh, maybe like I'm trying to distance myself from her humanity. I'm trying to be like, well, I, that's wrong. I would never do, you know, something like that. But really when I'm being, you know, if I'm being honest, like, yeah, I'm so (laughs) beyond imperfect and everyone I think has, you know, these Ava moments. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really appealing things about hacks is is these human moments that both Ava and Deborah Vance, you know, and and you know, there's sometimes they do things that you just they can't even explain why they did it because they're human, and and it's fun to see characters act like humans. Where Deborah Vance, you know, can be really gracious, uh, and and but then maybe she's having a bad day. Maybe she's just got something in her mind and and then she could really just snap at someone for no reason. And you have these two characters who are acting very human. So sometimes they're really rooting for each other. And then sometimes it's, it looks like this is not going to work. And that's been fun to watch just that evolution of that relationship that goes through ups and downs and, and got to a really great moment. And then, something, you know, triggers and they're back to square one. And and maybe now they're moving back towards a better relationship. But as we know, there is that email looming that, you know, something's going to happen to once again, bring them back. And, and yeah, that's that, that relationship's so fun to, to, to watch. And that must be just a fun to be a part of that, to be part of this, this team with, with Gene Smart must be just a blast. It is. It's so it's such a gift. I could not have gotten luckier. I really could not have gotten luckier. Gina's just the queen of my heart. <laughs> yeah. T- tell me, tell me about Jean. What, what don't we know about her? What have you experienced in, in getting to know her and working with her? You know, anybody who's met Jean, I think can tell right away just how um, loving and um accommodating and generous she is you know she she doesn't give you the opportunity to be intimidated by her um she just goes out of her way to make you feel comfortable she's you know such a great comedian like I do view her as a comedian the way that she tells stories off screen just about her life and her family is so captivating. And a lot of people ask her, you know, like when you were looking about looking at Deborah Vance, like who, who were your influences? And she has a ton, but watching her, I just go, you know, this person is such a gifted comedic performer that she's, you know, we're all sitting around in the green room, like little tiny, you know, first graders, like, you know, and she's like, it's like story time and she's so captivating and, so such an incredible storyteller and so deeply funny so naturally deeply funny and so sweet but also like strong you know she's really she's she she lovingly and politely expresses her her needs and desires as she should and it's such a great example of how to gracefully advocate for yourself um She's just the best. She really is. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I bet you've learned a lot about how to do that. And, and she's she's had the practice to sort of, you know, figure out how to express that properly and, and you know, make sure that her voice is heard. It's, it's one of the best, one of the greatest lessons that I, I've ever learned, really, because it, it's not just at work, you know, it's like as a person in the world. I bet she's got some some fun stories just on the shows. I mean, does she ever regale you guys with like designing women's stories uh, or, or any like the, the classics? Any Anyone sort of like beggar to it just tell, tell us something funny about the 80s? You know, really, it's it's less like stories about stuff on set and more just like talking about how much she loves the people that she's worked with, I would say. Um, but she's got some great stories, really just like from her kids' childhoods and, you know, when she was starting out um, in Seattle uh, and all of like the great, the great tales of, of the life of Jean. Yeah. And she's, I mean, the, the past couple of years, Fargo and, and Watchmen and, and just the things that she's been on playing these, like I was saying the other day, these kick-ass characters. It's sort of pretty, I mean, a lot of people have been saying it's the year of Gene Smart. I mean, the fact that Mayor of Easttown was out at the same time, um, it's kind of just fun to see like the, the Gene Smart Appreciation Club really like just explode this year. It's it's great. It's great to see everyone catching up, you know, to where <laughs> the real stands have always been. Um, I, I'm so glad that Jean is having this lovely, lovely uh, moment with all of these, you know, great characters. But she's had so many great characters over the years, ones that, you know, you might not even know. Like, I I uh, loved Kim Possible as a kid. Yeah. Kim Possible's mom is voiced by Jean. And I like, that's like one of those things where I'm like, oh, Jean's been with me my whole life. Like I really have been like hearing her voice since I was a kid. Um, I mean, have you talked to her about Kim Possible? Yeah, she, well, Kim Possible is a ginger crime fighting cheerleader. And I, sans crime fighting, was a ginger <laughs> cheerleader as a kid. So I'm like, whoa, cool. And Kim Possible, what an, just a side note, what an icon. And for <laughs> mom, Jean bringing Kim Possible into the world, that makes so much sense to me. I think time to reboot that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, what if you're, uh, I mean, how would you describe uh, some of your other interactions with her, especially when you first got to meet her? What was that that like? What did you did you guys start to talk about and, and what was, what was she like in meeting her? You know, we really just started to make jokes about our surroundings and really anything like we, we both took various risks in testing each other's sense of humor. Um, when we first met um, just me sort of being like, can I make this, you know, kind of like, raunchier joke and her being like can I you know how much can this girl take is she you know is this person you know gonna understand that I'm I'm like lovingly digging at her like with a you know a little like roasty like loving mm -hmm. dig um so it was just a lot of like jokes back and forth I mean she really she really is like I said like she's really like a comedian to me in addition to being such a great actress, she's like 
a great, great comedian. Yeah, yeah. And I've been a, a lot of that also. I mean, I mentioned Designing Women, but just doing a multi-camera sitcom as long as she did in front of an uh-huh. audience, like timing and just knowing how to, you know, sort of button a joke and, and all the things that she did for so many years, that's got to, uh, you know, be a huge skill for, for her. And, and, you know, in an age where there aren't that many multi-camera sitcoms anymore, not many people yeah. have that skill like they once did. Oh, yeah. She's, I mean, well, her background is in theater. So, like, I always am like that live performance background, as well as Carl, um, who plays Marcus. Yeah. Um, having that live performance background, Rose Abdu has a live performance background. Um, Meg Stalter in our show, Paul W. Downs, um, you know, that that background is, um, it just translates to the screen in such, Jefferson Mays, who was a guest star uh, in episode two, I think, um, you know, just like all of these theater actors or live performers have given such a beautiful um beautiful, such beautiful performances and have given the show such a, a gorgeous quality that I think is, is really special. Um, Why hacks on the road, hacks on the road. but hack <laughs> company, like promote, promote season two, hit a couple dates yep. in the country. I'm... Hacks live. Oh my God. Yeah. I think that'd be fun, but we, 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 us kids in the, in our little group chat have been talking about it. We want to do like a variety show, um, like a live show in LA or something. No, totally. That'd be great. (laughs) So what else, uh, sort of, are you excited about? Um, I'm sure, you know, sort of hacks has, has opened some doors. Uh, what, uh, what are you looking to do next? What's sort of on the bucket list? Um, um, no, no. I'm, I'm doing, I'm, we're doing next season. It's coming up. I'm really excited. Um, I'm going on the road a little bit and I'm doing stand up for, you know, as long as it's safe um, to do that. Uh, yeah. That's gotta be fun after having not been able to do that for a year and a half. Fun and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> way, way scarier going back than, um, than it was, uh, when I was desensitized to sort of like the terror um, <laughs> of live performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I'm just like, kind of, you know, I'm looking at various like uh, other um, like movie space stuff that feels like I can, you know, conceivably do like something in, in the off season. Um, and uh, you know, just really trying to keep doing work that makes me, really proud of, uh, to be a part of, of the team creating it and, and, um, you know, just speaks to like, uh, the characters I, I want to see. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, cool. Well, cool. Well, congratulations on the nomination. Thank Good you. luck. Is there anyone in your category you want to take down? Uh, should, should we, uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, I, and this is not like a phony, this is not, I mean, there would be no, of course, some people might do that, but um, I mean, this year is so, I'm just like, truly my honest view is that like the uh, nomination is, is like the true award. Like I, I, I really feel like just being recognized alongside 
these women is bonkers to me. I can't believe it. And I, I mean, especially, you know, um, Juno and, and Hannah, I, I, I love that show. I love Ted Lasso and I love, um, their performances and, and their duo is such a beautiful, brilliant one. And, um, you know, it, it's just a, and of course, Rosie Perez, like every, it's, it's, it goes without saying these people are brilliant. Um, yeah, it's a, it's nice. been a good year, you know, it's, it's, you know, take the pandemic out a really good year for television. So, and, uh, and, and we needed it, like we needed to feel, um, we needed laughs this year. I think. That's Hannah Einbinder, Emmy-nominated star of Hacks, now streaming on HBO Max. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.